It's a pleasure to be here. I do want to let you know, first, if I could just say something about the, all the logistical guys that are going to put this together and the, and the music people. This, I showed up at like five till nine this morning. And two till nine. He was a little nervous. He was a little nervous. I wasn't late, but I did miss an opportunity to be early. And, um, and they have just, I mean, I, this is just kind of amazing how hard they worked. And I thought they've just done a, just a beautiful job leading us in worship and, and singing with us and teaching us and then setting the thing up. And, and, and it's very much appreciated. This was not a logistically, not an easy thing to do to move a, a church that usually has plenty of space from two services to three and in this space, in this time, and, and, and thanks to all of you guys uh, that, that uh, you did a really good job. Um, I do want you to know that Jeff is aware how difficult that is. He called, he called me last night from Turkey, and so I got a phone call, and he said he was praying for us and would be praying for us this morning and uh, was praying for me and, and uh, was remembering you and, um, in, in his time there. I, I, I do... Uh, I do think he made a mistake this morning because I got a second call this morning from him, which I think was what uh, just one of those accidentally picked up his cell phone because it probably costs like 10 bucks a minute to call from Turkey. So if he turns in his expenses and it shows like a 40 minute, you know, that I was that person. That got um, it's funny, uh, the days that the, the most attended Sunday services would be Easter and Christmas, of course. You know, the next, after those, the, the next most popular uh, Sunday in terms of, of people showing up for church? Mother's Day. That's correct. But let's talk about the least attended Sundays. Uh, <laughs> the least attended Sundays tend to be um, the week after Thanksgiving. Um, uh, travel Sundays, the week after Easter, the week after Christmas. Uh, Labor Day, Memorial Day, and Father's Day. Kind of interesting. So I'm glad you're here uh, on Father's Day. We're going to, um, I, I work as a counselor and I find that the base, we're going to answer the, the four questions that I think are always being asked by people. Um, do I have what it takes? Um, and um, what am I supposed to do with my life? What do I do with my doubts and fears? And how, how should I live? Now, those questions seem to be underneath all the other, a lot of other questions people are asking. And we're going to look at God the Father and the way the Father pours into the Son and see the things that he offers the Son and parenthetically see what he offers you and I. Now, there's going to be three ways I want you to kind of evaluate this. And we actually talked about this a few years ago. Uh, one Sunday morning. But I want, there's three ways I want you to kind of think about this. I want you to think about it, A, from your earthly father. Because you can't possibly not think about that some as you think about what does a father do for a son? What does a father do for a daughter? Now, and your parents, they're the tallest trees in the forest. And so they have cast a shadow on how you live and what you understand things to be. But no one here had a perfect father. No one here had a perfect family. So we're not going to get bogged in that. Just be aware that you'll hear it through that grid a little bit. Second grid we'll hear this passage through will be a, the grid of, if you happen to be a father, how are you doing in these areas? But most of all, I want all of us to hear this, this 
sermon this to this teaching that today from the perspective of you are his you are God's sons and daughters and he is fathering you and that there's something for you in understanding the way he fathered son what he offers as a father because so many of the deficits that we live out of and I sometimes live out of a lot of deficits God answers as he refathers us, reparents us, sanctifies us, and make us make us more like his. But before we look at his word and before we talk about him, let's talk to him. Could we pray together? Father, thanks so much for the privilege to be here this morning. Pray that you would meet us here. You know everyone in this room. You know the people that just hate Father's Day. You know the couples struggling with infertility. You know the people struggling with the kids. and You know the people that even fought on the way here this morning. Father, you know every one of us. There's not a secret in this room. And in some way that comforts us. In some way that scares us. But would you meet us here this morning? Would you use this time together, this time of worship, this time of, of looking and thinking about your word, would you use this to change us? We long to be changed, how we hope that it is all true. So would you do your work in us this morning? Father, for the people in this room that are too comfortable, would you use this time to disrupt them? For the people in this room that are disrupted, would you use this time to comfort them? We pray these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. When we get to heaven... Heaven's going to be full of stories. For 2,000 years, we'll be hearing stories. For eternity, there'll be stories told. One of those stories that I think we'll hear often from probably everyone who witnessed it, and then we'll want to hear more, is one of those historic moments in history that is, is vivid and rich. It's the, it's the story of Jesus' baptism. It's one of... of the, re- the resurrection and, con- and um, crucifixion are in all four Gospels. But this is also in all four Gospels. All four Gospels have the story of Jesus' baptism. Why is it such a big deal? Well, it's a big deal for lots of reasons. But one of the things that takes place in that moment, you and I won't see till heaven. There's something so sacred, so amazing at that moment that you won't see the Godhead in the way John the Baptist did until you get to heaven. In its full glory, the Father, the Son, the Spirit pouring into one another in the way that the three in one and one in three do. That dance, that heroic fellowship of three in one that takes place in that moment. Well, you know the story. Jesus is being baptized, right? John the Baptist pulls Jesus' head out of the water and you can just imagine the water coming off the face of Christ. And at that moment, the text tells us that the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And then, as if God would not contain himself, as if he could not keep it silent, in Mark it says the clouds are ripped open or rend open or torn open, depending on your, on your translation. And God rips open the heavens And God the Father speaks audibly, and he says, that's my boy, 
or that might have been the original Greek, but what he, but he says, that, that's my son, my beloved. Now in that moment, uh, an amazing thing takes place. You see God in, in his full glory. You, you know that God only speaks audibly three times in the New Testament. Now I've got my, my good charismatic friends say God's talking all the time. And, and maybe he is. I mean, maybe he is, and I just don't listen very well. But, and they're saying he's talking all the time, and, 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 and I hope they're probably right. But he only recorded his words from God's mouth on the page three times in the entire New Testament. All three times, there are words of validation to his son. Well, you know, even the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember that story. Jesus, uh, Peter is up there with, with Elijah and Moses and, and Jesus. It's this sacred moment. It is this holy moment. Peter, in all of his, uh, his spontaneous way that he kind of sees the world, says, this is great. He says, I got the big three up here. It may be a little bit of a kind of Miami Heat idea. I don't know. But he said, I've got the big three up here and, and we're going to, and let's just get some tents and let's camp out and, Let's, let's have a holy huddle. And God the Father, here's his son put on the same level as Elijah and Moses. And it wasn't that God doesn't love Elijah and Moses. It's that that's my son. And he clears house. You know the story. He clears house and says audibly, he is my son. Listen to him. That's when God speaks out loud. And this is a time when God speaks out loud. And he says the same thing. I would suggest to you that one thing a father is supposed to do to a son, what a father is supposed to do to a daughter, is to validate. How many people I see every day, oh, let me, let me be more honest, how often I live my life looking for the validation of others. How'd I do? How am I doing? Am I doing Okay. Can I pull this off? Do I have what it takes? Have I saved enough? Have I done enough? Am I okay? Living for the validation. God the Father at that moment validates his son. My son, my beloved. Fathers validate their children. For just a moment, think about how that happened in your family. For some of you... None of you got it perfectly, but for some of you, that'll be maybe a sad thought. Didn't get much of that. Well, just be aware of that. Grieve that. If you are an earthly father, think about the privilege you have to validate. To look someone in the eye and say, you're the real deal. But more than any of that, for every one of us in this room that know him, See God the Father looking at you and saying, you're my daughter, you're my son. I'm well pleased. See that he's validating you, that he's, that he's calling you his. I mean, you know, we, we, we sometimes want to make sure our, all our doctrine is right. But do you know why it's important that you understand the idea of election? It's not because we can debate better if you understand it. It's because... If you understand the idea of election, that God has chosen you, you you sense that sense of validation. 
I've chosen you. You're mine. You're my, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're my beloved. To think those same words that God the Father is speaking as Jesus is coming up out of the water, he says to you as his child, you're my son and daughter. You're my beloved who I'm well pleased because you're my, I've chosen you. I mean, the doctrine of election is not theoretical. It validates you're chosen. You belong to him. How many of us sit in this room and wonder if we belong? How, how, how often do we, we look around and we go, man, I'm not as good as these people. They're, they're smarter than me. They're better than me. I, if people knew what a, what a mess I am, they wouldn't even let me speak. They wouldn't let me do this. They wouldn't let me do that. And the God, the Father says, chosen you. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my beloved. You're my beloved. So the first thing I would want to remind you this morning is that the God of the universe, your heavenly Father, is a validating God. Second thing I'd want you to note is note when God did speak to his son, it had to do around the idea of vision, important times in his life. Vision. Gosh, so many many times we're just saying, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And I'm not sure what you're supposed to do vocationally. But most of what you should, what, what God would want you to do, he's already decided, he's already can tell you. You're to love the people next to you. You're supposed to care for them. The world has fallen apart. And, and it's, a, it's that you have been invited. You and I have been invited into the grand arc of history at the most amazing time in the story. You see, this is, I mean, if you, if this were, if this were like, if life, if the history of the world were a action movie, you and I have shown up after the hero is in the battle to redeem it all. And you and I have been put into the movie, put into this battle scene where we can have, we can be a part of saving as many as we can for his glory. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the time that your story, your small story fits into God's big story. Isn't that grand? You see, we live with too small a vision. And I'm going to offend a few of you right now, but that's my goal. My goal is to offend everybody I can. Um, I, I like Dave Ramsey. I really do. I, I, I do um, most of the time. And, uh, and we follow him. And I mean, I, I, we're on like baby step 27 or whatever. And we're, we... We do that, and we've got envelopes in the. I mean, we've had envelopes in the past, and we, we're we're debt. I mean, I, I was going to say I can't lie. We, I don't think we have the envelopes now. We're, we're we're out of debt except for our house, just like we're supposed to be. We're we're working all that stuff. So, but sometimes I've noticed that, and I noticed it in my own life when when I when I really got excited and kind of started following that pretty close, and a lot of the people I know who get into that sometimes I go, that's an important thing, but it's not as big a story as God really invites you into. I mean, sometimes I've seen people like, I mean, that's their whole life. And it seems like, they're, they're, it seems like their vision is so, is, is so small. Yeah, get out of debt. That's a good idea. But your life is to echo into eternity. That's bigger than just getting out of debt. I mean, get out of debt. Yeah, do that. Follow his little steps. But don't let that be the, don't let that be your biggest accomplishment of the year. Don't live out of a vision that says, well, we have, you know, we, 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 we're really excited because 
You know, no, you're, you have been invited. You've been invited by the God of the universe who's telling this incredible story, the history, the arc of history, of redeeming all of creation back into himself. You've been invited to live in that story with him at the most amazing time of the story. And, and you get out of debt and, and wash your car and change the oil in your car and do all the things you're supposed to do that are small, but don't miss the bigger vision. Because you have a God. What does a father do? A father provides vision. Not only does he validate, he provides vision. He provides vision. Gives you something big enough to live for, big enough to live in, big enough to know. Why we live in such small stories when God invites us to be in a bigger story. Think about your own, think about it through three ways. Think of your heavenly, your earthly father. Did he provide vision? Did he live with a big vision? If not, grieve that and then move on. If you're a earthly father, are you providing vision for your family? Or are they just, or is it basically you're just kind of teaching everybody how to survive and live a documentary? But for all of us, all of us in this room, all of us that are chosen sons and daughters, now that you've been validated to be his child, now you're validated and the God of the universe says, I've chosen you. You have what it takes because of me. Now hear him say, and I've got vision for you to do things that matter for me in my kingdom. So I have a God that gives vision. Thirdly, I'd suggest to you that what a father does is remember the garden? Remember the garden when Jesus goes to the Father? There's so much we can learn by just looking at the interaction between the Son and the Father, Jesus and, Jesus and the Father. Remember in the garden when he says, is there any way to do this without the cross? So is there any way to take this cup from me? But not my will, but your will. I would want you to note a father in this case, the Heavenly Father, that's strong enough to handle questions and doubts, concerns. The third thing I'd suggest that a father is supposed to do is provide strength. Strength. Strength strong enough that you can bump up against. That you can take your doubts, your fears, your worries, your loneliness, your brokenness, your shame. And that you can bump up against a God who's strong enough and big enough not to shame you, but to meet you there. That's the God that we offer. That, that, that's what God the Father offers. And I think that's what fathers are supposed to do. There's supposed to be enough strength there so that when a, when a kid is trying to figure out who they are, they can bump up against that strength. There's something strong enough that they know they can count on. Something that'll be consistent. Something that they know will show up. A father that'll show up. There's, when I think about your earthly father, how did he do when it comes to the area, the, this idea of being strong enough to bump against? None of our, no fathers, I've not been that strong at times in my life as well. So face that, be aware of that. That's worth noting because it shaped you some. Then think about it 
if you're an earthly father? Or do you provide that kind of strength that, that your family can bump up against? But most of all, most of all, see it from the, see it from the eyes of, of his sons and daughters, that you're being refathered, reparented right now in your life, that God the Father is strong enough to handle your doubts, that he didn't die on the cross so that you could pretend. He didn't die on the cross so we could just play church. He died on the cross so that we could take all of that we are, the broken parts of us, the struggling parts of us, the fearful parts of us, the doubtful parts of us. He's strong enough for honest involvement with that part of our lives. It's funny, he already knows it. Sometimes we think we're, sometimes I think we think we're fooling him. I think I do. It's like, like as if he doesn't know. But he invites, invites me because he's strong enough to handle anything we bring him. So, but not only does a father validate, not only does a father provide vision, not only is a father supposed to be strong enough to bump against, a father is supposed to sacrifice. I'm not sure why the non-Christian world doesn't listen to us that much anymore. We've got all sorts of our, all our evangelistic plans, and I'll give you my thought. As, as our culture becomes more and more hedonistic, and as our culture becomes more and more selfish, I think one of the things that will compel the non-Christian culture to, to hear the gospel will not be our good ideas, because I don't think they listen to us that much anymore. I think they will be so surprised when they see people living sacrificially for something bigger than just themselves. I think sacrificial living is so countercultural now that as, as, the, as the months and years go ahead of us, I think the world will find that to be odd but intriguing that people would live sacrificially. Now, why do you sacrifice? Because it works? No, don't do that. Because I don't know that it'll always work. You sacrifice because if you sacrifice, you'll be more like Christ. And in sacrificing, you get better. You sacrifice for your kids, but I mean, even good kids like mine won't appreciate it. And then, you know, some of yours rotten kids, they won't appreciate it at all. I'm just kidding. You're, you're, your kids are good enough. But why should you sacrifice for your children? Well, because it works. Then they'll be... No, because it might or might not work. Because you'll become more faithful if you live a life sacrificially. You'll look and live more like Jesus. And your life will be different because you've sacrificed for something that matters than because you just tried to cut a deal. The gospel's not a deal. It's not a bargain the gospel is the person of Jesus Christ. And he invites us to, to live. So not only should a father validate, not only should a father provide vision, not only should a father be strong enough to bump up against, a 
father should sacrifice for his children. Think about your first from three places. Your earthly father, did he sacrifice on your behalf? If he did, thank him today. If he's still around. If he didn't, know that you are shaped by the fact that that didn't happen because that was supposed to happen. That's how a father mirrors God the father. Don't get bitter. Don't get cynical. Second, look at it if you were an earthly father. How are you sacrificing on behalf? And, and don't start counting it like, well, because if you're, if you're not careful, if you don't let this sacrifice be ultimately done for the glory of God, you'll start to feel entitled. I have found that people who sacrifice to the level they sacrifice, if Christ does not intervene, they become feeling entitled. And so people start feeling, they start sacrificing, they kind of start feeling entitled. Unless Christ intervenes and you realize that sacrifice isn't to get something, but to become something. So second, if you're an earthly father, think about how you sacrifice for your kids. Don't measure it by outcome. Measure it by faithfulness and what kind of man are you becoming? But lastly, more importantly, think about sacrifice from the perspective of God the Father who doesn't owe us anything, who doesn't need us, but who sacrificed on our behalf. So we could have relationship with him and we could be a part of this grand story of redemption. Oh, that's the God we worshiped this morning. A God who sacrifices. My, um, my wife has this kind of odd dream thing that she has. And it's really bad theology. I want to tell you right off the bat. What I'm about to say is really bad theology. But she has this kind of vision, this dream that, that my family, we're all gonna, when we all get to heaven, um, and, and that we think that, you know, it'll be, you know, that we'll be walking in first, but then no one will even notice that we showed up. And, and instead, the angels will be going, Pierce, and giving them a high five, and Skyler, what's up? And, and they'll be all excited to see them. And, and we'll be thinking, well, we were the, the parents. And, uh, and then Skyler, who's our autistic son, who sometimes um, requires more than I have to give, will say something like, whoa, it was so hard to act like I didn't know anything for all those years. And then my, my son Pierce will probably say something like, whoa, that was crazy sometimes down there. And then Jesus will say to them, well done, good and faithful servants, because I never could have gotten to your parents' stubborn, selfish hearts without you. In just a little ways that they learned to sacrifice they became a little bit more like what I longed for them and made for them to be. 
I know. But that's not quite how it goes when we walk into eternity. But there is something in the principle of it that is true. So this morning, in just a quick, quick sermon on Father's Day, I just wanted to remind you, no matter what father you come from earth in an earthly sense, you have a heavenly father who validates you, who calls you his beloved daughters and sons. You have a heavenly father. No matter what has happened in your life, no matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you've made, that doesn't say it's too late for you, that has a vision for what you can become for the glory of God, for his purposes. I also want to remind you that this heavenly father not only will do that, he, he's also strong enough to handle any fear and doubt you have today. Any question And most of all, he's a God who has sacrificed on your behalf and invites you to live counterculturally, to live and look more like him as you sacrifice for his glory and purposes as well. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for the privilege to be here this morning. Father's Day, Lord, we know is just a made-up day by Hallmark, but we were reminded of this day, not of just our earthly fathers, but reminded of you, our heavenly Father. And we thank you that you are a God who validates, gives us vision and therefore hope, gives us strength and therefore courage and gives us sacrifice as a way to understand and live life. We thank you for that. We pray in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.